You're listening to the MVP Real Estate and Mortgage Report. The views and opinions shared on this program don't necessarily reflect those of Citywide Home Loans. Citywide Home Loans, LLC, NMLS 67180. David Hosterman, NMLS 220562. Jonathan Edwards, NMLS 671258. Equal housing lender. Regulated by the Division of Real Estate. Call for additional cost information. Program qualifications and offerings are subject to change at any time. Not all that apply will qualify. Other restrictions may apply. Good morning and welcome to the MVP Real Estate and Mortgage Report. I'm Jonathan Edwards here with Rick Culp from Brokers Guild Real Estate. Rick, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. This is the show that brings you today's most relevant real estate insights and experiences from the industry's most dedicated players. Today, we are going to kick off the show with a veteran of Denver real estate. Rick, again, thanks so much for being on the show with us today. We are going to discuss offer strategies and contract do's and don'ts. Uh, Nobody better to be in the studio with us today to talk about these particular points. Stay tuned. Um, Today, we've got a quick disclaimer that Citywide Home Loans and Brokers Guild Real Estate are not affiliated entities. Listeners are not required to use either participant to work with the other participant. Rick, thanks so much for being on the show with us again today. How are you? I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, Rick, I think this is maybe your third time on the show with us. I think third, third, yeah. Sound about right. Over the last few years, it's always great to have you on the show. Uh, Rick is truly a uh, wealth of knowledge when it comes to real estate. Uh, Thanks, as always, for coming on with us, Rick. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about how long have you been working in real estate? John, I um, I got into real estate about 20, 26 years ago. I'd been in the corporate world for 17 or so years and decided to, to, to do a career shift and got into real estate about 26 years ago. So I've obviously seen some of the ups and downs of the, our market. Absolutely. And so you started out, um, if I remember correctly, with one of the bigger named uh, real estate brokerages out there. You were with Remax for quite some time. Uh, and then two, three years ago, made the move over here to Brokers Guild. Yeah, about two and a half years ago, uh, I came over to Brokers Guild um, to work on a training and mentoring program for our newer agents. And the success of that program, I've watched it over the years. We've worked very closely with Brokers Guild over the last five years. Uh, Since you came over, you guys have the weekly training classes that you do for new agents, even for agents that maybe uh, are just looking for a refresher as well. Tell me a little bit about those classes that you're doing, those training classes. We have a series of classes, and we do them quarterly, and then we just kind of rotate through each quarter. And so the classes are designed for um, newly licensed real estate brokers that are trying to figure out, you know, what do I need to do to be successful in real estate? And and um, just from the school of hard knocks, I'm able to kind of I've, I've written some classes, and then we've got some other uh, vendors as well that contribute. And then if we have some agents that are a little rusty and maybe haven't um, uh, been real active in the market in the last year or two. Sometimes uh, they're welcome to come and sit in on the classes. We do those every Wednesday on a weekly basis. 
And in addition to those training classes, Rick, you're you're available to help all the agents there at Brokers Guild, but you, you also have a mentoring program. So if there's anybody out there that's thinking about making a switch into real estate, Rick is a heck of a guy to try and learn underneath. He's been doing this for a long time. He's, he's learned a lot of what he knows the hard way. Uh, how does that mentoring program work, Rick? So basically, um, when somebody gets their real estate license, the the brokerage firm is responsible for maintaining a high level of supervision for two years over that new broker. And so what I do is as they come into the office, I will mentor and and guide them through their first three transactions. That's the mentoring program. And so I they, they would not submit a contract to a listing broker or a listing broker would not accept a contract from a buyer's broker until I had reviewed it, make sure that they thoroughly understood it, that their clients understood it. And um, basically, that that's how that works through the first three transactions. And if they want me to continue to help them after those first three transactions, which they do, I do, I do that as well. That's an excellent program, both that tra- those training classes and the mentoring. Rick, the ball's in your court here. We're going to get to some really good offer strategies for buyers out there. But first, let's talk a little bit about some of the key areas of the purchase contract. Uh, one of the areas that I think throws people off sometimes, whether you're on the buy side or the sell side, is the inclusions and the exclusions. Can you talk to us a little bit about that piece of the purchase contract, both from a from a seller standpoint and a buyer standpoint? Uh and that's a key part of the contract. So inclusions typically are going to be items like kitchen appliances, um, a washer and a dryer, okay, uh, maybe a storage shed in the back. One of the things that can be confusing, and as a lender, you would recognize this as well. I had a, a listing several years ago, and the seller wanted to include a full-size pool table, a full-size shuffleboard. Uh, table, five te- televisions. Those are not real property. Those yep. are personal property, and lenders do not like to see those in the contract. Yep. So those can be conveyed by a separate deed of sale, mm-hmm. either at no charge or at a pre-agreed upon price and conveyed separately from the property. Um, but but it's important. I had a listing once up in uh, Arvada, and the lady that owned the house had a chicken coop in the backyard. Well, and this was my mistake. We didn't address it in the listing agreement, and the buyer's um, agent wrote into the listing agreement that the chicken coop would be included. Mm. And, of course, after it went under contract, my seller signed the contract. She goes, oh, I I wanted to take that chicken coop with me. Well, she didn't. Uh, If she had tried to move it, it would have fallen apart. But the bottom line is it ended up costing me a little bit of money. uh, so, So it's important as a buyer's agent that you include everything that's included um that's being offered and conveyed in the MLS. And if you miss something, you could end up buying your your buyers a washer and a dryer. And so, Rick, I have a great story that follows along those lines. And this is this is a great agent that we know we've worked with for years who simply made a mistake early in his career. And, and why I think your mentoring program is so great is because it helps newer agents to avoid these types of pitfalls because you guys have unfortunately learned these the hard way. But we had an agent that early in his career um, – there was a barn that was included in the house, and in the barn was a tractor. And the buyers thought that they were purchasing the the tractor with it, but the buyer's agent didn't include that in the uh, in the contract when they submitted their offer. And so it was never included as part of the contract. When they closed on it, they went 
checked the barn and the tractor was gone. Well, the buyer's agent, it, it was, ended up being their fault because they didn't include it in their contract with their offer and had to buy a new tractor for their client. So a couple hundred dollars for a chicken coop versus 15000 for a tractor. That was an expensive So that method. was an expensive lesson learned, but... The agent did the right thing, bought bought the client a tractor, obviously didn't walk away with any money on that commission, but uh, but did the right thing. And that's what we like to see, you know, in the real estate community is agents, people are going to make mistakes. Are you going to own those mistakes? Personal property, and you just touched on this a little bit, Rick, but I'll tell you from a lending standpoint, personal property is, it can be a tough one because um, if it isn't, Really, I mean, sort of the general rule, and you might be able to elaborate on this, but if it isn't connected to the house as part of the house or the structure, then it's probably personal property, something like a swing set, um, a pool table, a shuffleboard, those kinds of things would be considered personal property, correct? That would be, yes. Yeah. And so Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, VA, they don't like personal property because it messes with the value of the actual property. And so typically, as you mentioned, those things need to be taken care of through a bill of sale outside of the contract. Is that your understanding? There is a bill of sale that can convey that property, yes. So dates and deadlines, I, I don't think we need to drag this one out too far, but I think dates and deadlines are important. And I know there's been some recent changes to the contract that you had mentioned to me the other day uh, around the, the loan portion of it. Talk to me a little bit about the importance of dates and deadlines and some of the new changes that you guys are going to see on that contract in 2022. Well, one of the, one of the um, deadlines in our current contract is called a loan termination deadline. And the contract says at the buyer's sole subjective discretion that they can terminate the contract on or before the loan termination deadline if they don't like the rates and terms of the contract. And typically that loan termination deadline is all the way up to four five days prior to closing. However, a buyer, sometimes we're seeing buyers get cold feet, simply not wanting to close at the last minute and using that deadline as a reason to get out of the contract. In the new contract that we've got, that loan termination deadline has gone away and now we have two dates. We have a rate and terms deadline. So early on, the buyer will have to approve what their rate and terms are. Okay, and then as we get closer to the end of the the contract period prior to closing, there is a, a loan availability deadline. Uh, uh, most of the time, it's not a problem, but there's always a chance that a buyer might be relocated, lose their job prior to closing. They use that deadline to now terminate and get their earnest money back. So basically, buyers were in some cases using loan termination to wiggle their way out of a contract. What the what NAR or is it NAR or CAR who makes it CAR probably right? It, 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 it is a Colorado it, Association of Realtors yes. that does our Colorado contract. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to prevent buyers from so easily being able to wiggle out of a contract. That's exactly and stick right. to it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, how about seller concessions? This is something that not a lot of buyers and sellers are too familiar with and not a lot of newer agents either, but seller concessions can be a really important part of a contract, right? They are, and it's something you don't want to overlook. Um, in our recent market, the last two to three years, we've not seen a lot of seller concessions. Um, in, in, in the way the loan is structured, the the seller is allowed to contribute Um, and pay part or all of the buyer's closing costs. They are not allowed to pay their down payment. So a seller concession 
uh, would be a, 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 an amount of money that you could enter into the contract and allow the seller to contribute towards the buyer's closing cost. Well, in order to be competitive in our market, a lot of buyers have not been asking for concessions. You know, we're starting to see the market shift just a little bit, and we might start seeing some concessions come in. We typically see those more prevalent with FHA and VA contracts. Yeah, absolutely. And we see that we do quite a bit of down payment assistance through CHAFA program, Metro DPA. Uh, there's a bunch of other great programs out there. And a lot of times when folks are looking to take advantage of a, of a down payment assistance program and use those funds, typically they're going to get enough funds to cover their down payment, um, maybe a little bit of the closing costs, but usually they're going to be responsible for the closing costs. And that can be thousands of dollars for those closing costs. So if we've got a borrower that maybe can get the minimum $1,000 that Chaffer requires, but they don't have all the funds for the closing costs. That's where we see those seller concessions sometimes. Um, and we do see them fairly often. Obviously, in a, in a buyer's market, I think you'll probably see them a heck of a lot more often. But still, even in this extreme seller's market, we do see them every once in a while. So it can be a great way to help your buyers to, to cover those closing costs and uh, some of the other costs associated with the transaction. Purchase terms of the contract, like purchase price, earnest money, cash at closing. So here's some of the things that you know seem obvious, right? But these are the kinds of things you got to get right when you do your contract, right? The purchase price that you want to submit, how much you want to charge for, I don't know if charge is the right term, Rick, but how much you want the earnest money to be. Those kinds of things when you're structuring those contracts, that needs to be correct. How much the down payment's going to be, those kinds of things. Absolutely. Um, the earnest money is, is important. Um, earnest money is consideration given by the buyer at the time that they're submitting an offer to the seller to let the seller know, hey, I'm serious about your property. Okay. And we typically see earnest money uh, at, at a minimum of 1% of the purchase price, but sometimes it can be significantly more. Um, so but the buyers will need to know going into the transaction that they're going to have to have an earnest money deposit made. And that, and, and that if that's either wire transferred or a personal check, that money needs to be readily available at the time they submit the offer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, earnest money is sort of the buyer's skin in the game to get the process started, if you will. Uh, property disclosure. Now, this is really important, Rick. So property disclosure, it, in my understanding anyway, is that the sellers, there's there's basically a number, I think it's pages long, where the sellers kind of go through different parts of the property and it's their opportunity to disclose anything that they know has been wrong with it or may currently be wrong with the property. Um, this, I've heard different opinions on this one, Rick, from different agents as how they advise their clients to fill this out. But what are your thoughts around the property disclosure? The property disclosure is really important to the buyers. Okay. Sellers are concerned that of the legal liability attached to it, but it's basically a document the seller fills out that says, to the best of my knowledge, this is how the existing components of the house are working. If there's nothing that's not working, you don't disclose it. But if you've had water in the basement or if you've had a structural engineer's report, if you've had a new roof put on, uh, if you've had a, a plumbing repair done, you should disclose those types of things to the buyer because those could, they could there are things called an adverse material fact. 
that's something that would prevent a, a, a prospective buyer from wanting to move forward with the purchase of the property. Absolutely. Great explanation there too, Rick. Um, inspections. How important are inspections? We have everyone's sometimes we have folks that are strapped for cash that are buying homes that really just want to spend as little as possible on the transaction and in some cases are willing to forego the um, the inspection process. Sometimes we have clients that are purchasing they're maybe they're renting a house and they're going to purchase it from the landlord and they're like, well, I live here. I know what's going on with the house. I don't want to do an inspection. What are your thoughts around inspections? How important is this part of the process? It's, it's extremely important. Um, now, there are circumstances like you mentioned. A tenant is going to buy the property they've rented and they already kind of know what the condition of the property is. A condo is fairly basic. There's no roof inspection. There's no exterior inspection. Uh, an inspector would come in, look under the sink, check the, the water heater and the furnace, make sure those things are working. But when you're buying a single-family home, a town home, I would always advise a home inspection, uh, a sewer scope, which is a, a, a camera that runs down into the sewer line to make sure that you don't have a significant problem there that nobody is aware of that's going to happen in the near future, and a radon test. Radon has become more prevalent, and almost everybody tests for radon. Radon is a is a colorless, odorless gas that has been known to cause cancer if subjected to high, high levels over an extended period of time. Uh, you mentioned sewer line issues there, Rick. Sewer lines, uh, for those that don't know, can add up pretty fast, right? Well, what do you um, – in fact, I had an agent recently tell me that they had an issue and it was a longer than normal sewer line and the crack was right, was at the end and the whole thing needed to be replaced and they were talking twenty grand for a new sewer line to be put in. Is that is that about typical? What, what do you think an average that, sewer replacement is? That was typical. I had one put in a full sewer replacement sewer line a couple of years ago. Uh, for a house in Denver, and it was eighteen thousand then. So today, Ooh. with uh, with the way things are inflating, twenty thousand, it could be, and that's why it's important to have one done. Sometimes it could be something as simple as root intrusions from trees that can be, um, you know, rooted out. They can mitigate that, and, stuff, and that's right? fairly inexpensive. But but um, you have a lot of older homes in Denver with clay tile, uh, clay type pipes that have deteriorated, had root intrusion, and all need to be replaced. You are listening to the MVP Real Estate and Mortgage Report on ESPN Radio 1600. Check out past episodes on our podcast at 1043thefan.com. For mortgage questions and information, call us at 303-921-5747. If you would like to get in touch with Rick Culp with Brokers Guild Real Estate to discuss buying or selling your next home, Rick can be reached at 303-995-4788. Rick, great information so far. I love having you in the studio. Your decades worth of knowledge are uh, invaluable. Let's talk a little bit. We'll shift gears just a touch here. I want to talk about great strategies. This is a seller's market here in Denver and in most, most of the places around the country. Um, Given that it's a seller's market, let's talk about some strategies that buyers and buyer's agents can use to get under contract in this market. Uh, first thing, first note that I have here is just make sure your buyer is pre-approved with a reputable lender. Is that important? It's, it's absolutely important. As a listing broker, 
I always put a lot of weight on the letter. I'll call the the lenders whose name is on that letter, or they will call me and say, hey, these guys are solid. I've run their credit. They've got the money in the bank to close. They've, you know, they've got their down payment. Uh, their income is good. Their job history is good. We want that assurance from that lender letter and lender that because many times we're dealing with multiple offers. We don't want to select the wrong offer. So that letter is a good indicator of the strength or value of that particular uh, purchaser. Well, and I'll tell you, Rick, I, our team here at Citywide Home Loans, we call every offer that gets submitted uh, for our buyers, we call the listing agent. We proactively reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I'm John Edwards of Citywide Home Loans. I've reviewed this file. It's pre-approved. Everything looks great. We've reviewed the documents. Your closing dates and all the other dates within the contract look absolutely fine. There should be no issues at all. And I will tell you, Rick, that on at least three occasions, I have been at the closing table talking with the listing agent, and they've said to me, you know, you're the only lender that called, which is why you're here. We had three offers that were essentially the same, but you're the only lender that called, and that's why you guys are here today. Thanks so much. You did everything that you said you were going to do. But I do think that that goes a long way. When you're the listing agent and you get that phone call and you can relay that to your sellers, that's got to feel pretty good, right? It's it's. Absolutely true, John, and I think that's a really good service that you guys provide. If I got four or five offers and I've got to get on the phone and try to track down the lenders and then they're busy, don't answer their phone, they call me back, I've got a deadline for these acceptances on these contracts, then I've got you calling me and I don't have to track you down and you're giving me the information I need, that's that's an invaluable service that a listing broker would surely appreciate and go a long way towards your buyer's offer getting accepted. So next one I've got here, Rick, is schedule your showing early and decide quickly if you want to put in an offer. Unfortunately, the market that we're in right now is a pretty hot one, and there's a lot of competition for most homes. And I think you and I had talked about this yesterday. A good home is going to go quickly. You're not the if you're a buyer out there and you see a home that you really like, the odds are there's other people that really like it too. There's those features. So when something comes on the market, you got to kind of go you got to go look at it quickly and you got to decide pretty fast right now if you're going to put an offer on it, don't you? You do. And it's unfortunate for buyers, but this is the way the market is. A lot of buyers, especially if they're first-time buyers, go out, look at a few homes and they're trying to get a feel for the market and what it is that they really want and they don't have the time to really digest the information and, and, and the data that they're, that they're um, uh, taking in. And they do have to make an offer quickly because multiple offers will be coming in. I have a lot of the newer agents that I work with, and they're writing offers, and they can't get anything accepted. And I will tell them, find an off- uh, a home that's been on the market two or three weeks. There are in- There is inventory out there that hasn't sold immediately. But when you get this hot new listing on the market, everybody runs in to see it, and then the offers come in, especially if it's priced fairly competitively. So um, you do have to make a pretty quick decision in this market if you're going to buy a house. And you got to make a strong offer. And part of making a strong offer, and we see this sometimes, and we'll actually advise our clients. In fact, I've got a, a client that I'm working with right now. He's working with an agent, Doug Pike, up in Evergreen. And the client really wants to put an offer on the property without the contingency of selling their home in Arizona. 
And uh, this is a strategy that if you can get it to work, can be huge, right, Rick? I mean, if you're the listing agent and the seller, you don't want to have to accept an offer that has a contingency on the sale of another property because if the sale of that other property goes sideways for some reason, that means you're not going to close on yours. Now, in this case, the borrower has enough cash to come in put money down either. And there's a couple of different ways to look at this. You could try and pay all cash and maybe you get a gift from a family member. We've seen this happen before, pay all cash for the house. Or in this case, the borrower is actually able to put 20% down on the new property and we can finance both mortgages or the debt ratios allow for both mortgages. So it's going to work out for him. But these are some additional strategies you really want to try to take a look at. Maybe there's a family member that could help you to purchase a home and you can uh, pay them back or something like that throughout the process. You see that often? I do. You know, as far as contingencies go, when I have a buyer that's looking to submit an offer and, and they have a home to sell, if they're going to write that contingency in the offer, they're negotiating from a position of weakness. If you have a non-contingent offer, you're negotiating from a position of strength. Okay? That's a great point. And so, um, like you said, a lot of times... It's a matter of comfort level. Well, we could probably afford to buy our replacement home without selling first, but we're uncomfortable with the thought of making two mortgages. But with the way that lenders can structure it, the way we can structure um, post-closing occupancy, rent backs, as you know, when you close on a home, you skip a month typically before your first payment is due. There's a way that, as you mentioned, as the lender, you can qualify them for both mortgages and, and and now they're operating from a stronger position and able to have a better chance of getting their offer accepted. Basically, cash is king, right, Rick? If you have more cash that you can present in the transaction, I think you've got some more strength and some more flexibility. Now, you had just touched on this, but I want you to expand a little bit, Rick. Talk to us a little bit about rent backs and post-closing occupancy agreements. That, those, are ter- those are real estate terms that not everybody are going to understand, but man, they can be really important when negotiating a contract. We have a form called a post-closing occupancy agreement, and this is a situation where the buyer now becomes a landlord and the seller becomes a tenant, okay? And this document allows the seller to stay in the home for a period of time after closing, Okay, and because our market is so tight, the seller's like, well, I'm willing to go ahead and accept your offer, but I need a little time to find a home, and I'm going to need 30, 45 days to a time to stay in the house, get under contract, and find another home. And so it's a strategy if your buyer is willing to um, allow the seller to stay in the home post-closing, you have a better chance of getting your offer accepted that way. So, Rick, in in our market, 30 days is a pretty typical turn time for a contract, right? It's probably about average. So one strategy that you could look at as well if you're a buyer, a buyer's agent, is trying to shorten the close time. A lot of times when somebody's looking to sell their home, sometimes they do need to find that other property, which is where that post-closing occupancy agreement would come into play. Other times the home is vacant or for whatever reason they can be out right away. They want to close as fast as possible and get out of there. That's where your cash offers or here at Citywide Home Loans, I mean, we can close transactions incredibly fast. Um, legally, we can't close any faster than 10 days, and we've had to do that in a couple of, tr- of situations. But if you can find a lender that can move quickly or you can find the cash for the transaction, then absolutely uh, look to take advantage of that and see if that's something that would be attractive to a seller, right? Absolutely. Um 
my experience is that sellers like a, the shorter the closing time, the better. They know they've got the money in their yeah. pocket, and it gives them the comfort level to go out and start being aggressive in the in the market to find an, a replacement home. Uh, appraisal cap, appraisal gap coverage, Rick. Talk to me a little bit. This is something we've heard more about in the last year or two, a couple of years, I would say. What is an appraisal gap coverage, and, and how does that work? So the way that works, John, is I'm sure that uh, for the people that are out there listening to this, and maybe some of you that have actually bought homes have experienced this, um, we have a listing price, but multiple offers come in, and people are actually bidding up and above the listing price. We've seen it thirty, fifty, sixty, a hundred thousand oh, yeah. dollars in some cases, depending on the price of the home. And coming from the loan side, as you know, the lender will only loan on the appraised value. So if if the if the purchase price, let's take an example, the listing price was five hundred, you paid five fifty. You offered five fifty to get your offer accepted, and the appraisal only came in at five hundred. Somebody has got to cover that fifty thousand dollars shortage. It is negotiable. The seller could pay it, the buyer could pay it, they could split it, or the contract could actually be terminated. But a strong buyer contract throws a clause in that says if the appraisal does not come in at the price we've offered, we're willing to take that additional cash out of our pocket and cover that shortage. And that's a that's a very popular strategy that we see right now. Another one would be an escalation clause where uh, basically you put in your contract that you're willing to offer X amount, maybe $1,000 over the top offer. That's another great strategy as well. Rick, thanks so much for coming on the show with us again today. Always a pleasure having you. If somebody wants to talk with you about buying or selling their next home, what's the best number they can reach you? Uh, that I have my cell phone with me all the time. That number is 303-995-4788. Thank you for tuning in to the MVP Real Estate and Mortgage Report. If you have a question about financing your next home or refinancing a current mortgage, give us a call at 303-921-5747. Don't miss next week's show right here on ESPN Radio 1600, Saturdays at 7 a.m. You can find past episodes on our podcast at 1043thefan.com.